All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. Um, how, many of you, um, uh, how many of you have ever experienced something that kind of stung, that kind of like, man, it just, man, it just stuck with you, okay? Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it, really, it really marked you. Uh, well, uh, this last uh, Friday night, uh, I got to speak to our young people at First Friday, and I shared a message uh, that God moves so powerfully in the service, it, it, it kind of struck me. It struck me because I saw how powerfully God was moving in the young people, and I knew some things that I wanted to share with the, with the greater church, and I was like, Lord, why are you moving so strongly on this message for young people? He says, because it's not only a message for young people, it's a message to my church in preparation for their assignment in preparation for their callings, in preparation for stepping into a brand new season that I have for them. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, uh, so uh, the Lord really began to stir in my heart this message called limping into destiny. How many of you, every time you go out Maybe as a young person, you would go out, and you'd hang out with your friends, and you would come home bleeding. Is that any of you raise your hand? Okay, all of you who did not raise your hand, you are the one scheming against that friend, because we all have that friend. And you're just interested in how you are going to be able to send them home bleeding. Nowadays, kids make videos, try to catch that failing moment, that, that bone-crushing moment so they can go viral. When I was a kid, um, our family inherited a dog from my older brother, and this dog was... Um, was a black lab, which by the way, you know anything about black labs, they are very dangerous with their tails. They're so happy, they will beat you to death with their tail. However, our black lab was a mix of two pure breeds. It was a black lab, pure breed, and a chow chow. Nobody has these dogs. You see uh, the groan that happened? <laughs> All of you know, what happened? I took a super happy dog, put it with a really angry dog, and they made Max. So now I have, as a child, a family dog with a mean streak. Now, this dog, I knew he was dangerous. Here's why. Because every time someone who was not in the family would come into our life, he is growling, being aggressive. I've never had a dog like this before. And so I had this friend coming over. I was like, dude, I got a new dog. He's like, oh, I'm coming over right after school. I was like, dude, listen to me. Whatever you do, if he growls at you, do not run. Don't run. Just stand there. I promise. You're going to be okay. Just don't run. 
How many of you know that sometimes you tell the friend that bleeds exactly what they don't need to do, and that's exactly what they do? Oh, I knew what he was going to do. He was going to run. Max kind of looked like a black wolf. And I, I say, hey, you want to see him? He comes over after school. I say, you want to see him? I said, Max, come here. He comes running to me all happy. And then looked at him. Well, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. He takes off running. And I'm trying to hold the dog. It's a big dog. I'm young. The dog gets out of my grip and takes off. And it was like a perfect Sunday afternoon linebacker hit. He wasn't trying to bite him. It was perfect. At the knees, poof, he hits him perfectly, spins him, like does a flip, and he lands. And, and, and for the sake of not being grotesque, let me just say there was air escaping his body when he hit the ground. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. Um, and... <laughs> And I got a hold of the dog. And the scene as he was leaving my house after that short encounter is he left limping. Limping home. And, and sometimes I think we as human beings, we think to ourselves, man, I'm going to get myself into these situations. And we're like, man, this is going to be fun. And somehow we get blindsided and we leave those moments limping. He didn't see it coming. Now, there was a, a famous limper in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And he limped his whole life, but for two different reasons. His name is Jacob. He's actually a twin. He has a brother named Esau. While they were in the womb, uh, his mother in the scriptures, it says, what is going on inside of me? A wrestling match. And someone prophetically tells her, there are two nations within your womb and they're wrestling. He was named Jacob because of the nature of the way he was born. Esau came out as the firstborn, the one son that was to be celebrated. But when Esau came out, Jacob was holding on to his foot. And so his mother named him one who grabs the heel of another. Let me tell you the other meanings of the name Jacob. By the way, if you're sitting on the front row and your name is Jacob, this is not to insult you. <laughs> the other meanings of the name Jacob are, are, are this. Liar. Deceiver. One who pushes another out of their place so he can stand there. 
Can you imagine he's going through life and, and he's just a young boy. He's out playing with his, his brother who loves to be outside and Jacob likes to stay inside and play video games. Kind of the modern version of that story. And mom says, Esau, come in for dinner. Liar. Hey, deceiver, I told you to get in here for dinner. Imagine every common moment being called a liar or a deceiver. You know what that makes you do? Limp. It affects the way you walk. Why? Because the label you receive starts to affect who you are. And he starts limping and he hears liar, deceiver, one who pushes another out of their place. And suddenly, one day, a few days later, Esau is famished from working hard outside. And that label and that limp comes to bear on that relationship with that one that he is supposed to be closest to, his twin brother. And he says, oh, I've got him now. I've got him now. I know what to do. He's starving to the point of death. I'm going to give him some food, but it's going to cost him something. It's going to cost him his birthright. He says, Esau, I'll feed you if you sell it to me. If I can buy from you your birthright with this bowl. And Esau is so famished, so tired, so outside of his mind, he says, fine. See, for you and I, that birthright doesn't mean much, but the birthright means everything. It means all that belongs to the firstborn. The place of responsibility, that, that place of truly being that one that would get two-thirds of the inheritance from the family. He traded one-third of his inheritance for a bowl of food. But Jacob lied to do it. And then later on, he, he, his father is about to die. His father is blind. And, and, and the, the tradition uh, was at that time that right before they would die, a father would lay hands on their, their oldest son and bless them. Why? Because when they blessed them, everything they blessed them with would come to pass. God would honor what a father said over a son. This isn't this message, but parents... Parents, you need to be careful about what you say over your kids. Sometimes what you say, God will bring to pass. And if you say the wrong things, many times it'll come to pass. Instead, understand the power of blessing and you can bless them. And it may not look at that time like it's going to come to pass. But I'm telling you, it will come to pass because of the power of blessing. That's a different message. So there, he says, he says, Esau, I'm ready to bless you. Here's what I want you to do. Go out and hunt some game and make for me my favorite meal. I will eat and then I will bless you. And Esau goes out. Well, Rebecca and Jacob overhear it. And Jacob, and they, get, they conspire together and they say, okay, we're going to make him a meal quick. But you have to deceive your father in order to get this blessing. 
Put some sheepskin on. I want you to put on his clothes and take on his smell. Dad can't see. I think you'll be able to get the blessing. And he did. He secured it through lying. His dad said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That voice is the sound of Jacob. He said, come close. He felt his arms and he felt the, the hair that he had, he had stuck to his arms. He says, wait, you feel like Esau. And then he smelled the clothes. He said, no, 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 you smell like Esau. And so he stole the blessing from his father. Esau comes after this, this exchange, after having already lost, the, losing the birthright, comes in and says, Father, I've made you this meal. And his dad said, wait a minute. Who was it that I blessed? Who was it that I blessed? Esau, realizing that, that, that his brother had done it, and being so, being so struck in his heart, he says, Dad, does there not remain a blessing for me? And in that blessing, he makes one statement. He says, one day you'll break your brother's yoke from your neck. He didn't know how that was going to happen. At this point, he thinks it's going to happen through revenge. And in Matthew 27, 41, it says, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning of my father are at hand. He says, My dad is dying. He's about to die. They're at hand. But as soon as that's over, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. Jacob catches wind through his mother that Esau is plotting to take his life. And he runs from his past. He runs from his past, and, and yet there is a measure of blessing on his life. He finds a, a job, and he actually uh, finds a, a, a woman that he's like, wow, she's amazing. I can't wait to marry her. Works seven years. And suddenly he gets deceived and gets dim-eyed Leah. I'm sorry if your name's Leah. Okay, if you're here, it's a Jacob Leah. He, and he marries her, and he's like, what? No. I want the hot sister. <laughs> Goes back to the father-in-law, says, I will work another seven years. She's that hot. I'll take this one if I have to. But so he takes her. Gets the wife of his dreams. And God begins to bless him. He begins to gain in wealth. His family begins to grow. But he still has all these family problems. Everything is getting better on one hand, but his family problems were still there. Anybody excited about Thanksgiving at this point in the sermon? Get ready, hang on till the end. And so finally, after God intervenes with Laban, Jacob gets to a place of wholeness with his father-in-law. So now he has two wives and two servants. He's making this large family, 11 kids, and he says, now... Maybe, since I see a little light happening in my family, maybe I can deal with my past. 
So he sends a messenger to go find Esau. He says, uh, go tell Esau that God has blessed me. And he's like, I'm going to give him all kinds of wealth. I'm going to try to buy a relationship with him. Esau's response, gentlemen, I need 400 of you. We're going to see the liar. And Esau and 400 men begin to come after Jacob. His past is coming to bear on him, and he does not know Esau's intent. And this is where I want us to look in the scriptures today. At Genesis 32, and it says this. He arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and, and sent what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And as he wrestled with him, he said, let let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God. Not man, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. As I said to you earlier, God has an amazing plan for your life and for this church. I believe there is an unprecedented awakening of souls that's happening in this region and that this church is to be a pillar in this community filled with people who know God and know his goodness and know his power and know the Holy Spirit who will believe God that he will come and bring effectual change. However, I also believe that in this room there are still a few Jacob. Jacob had this relationship with God, the blessing of God, the increase of God. But there was something more he needed. And I know that many of you in this place, you may feel a sense of destiny. And sometimes we're paralyzed from stepping into it. Because all we can think about is who we used to be before we bowed a knee and welcomed Christ into our life. And I'm here to tell you, there will come a moment where the enemy comes bringing the story of who you used to be, and you need to know what to do when your past is coming to bear on you. Let me give you a couple of things here. First thing is that you have to get alone with God. You've got to get alone with God. When your past is chasing you, you need to get alone with God. 
Verse 22 says, he arose that night, took his wives and servants and sons, crossed over the ford. He took them, sent them over the brook, sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. You need to listen to this. Get this in your spirit. The platform for personal transformation is found in the stripping away of all that we have used to insulate ourselves from dealing with who we really are. When we finally say, God, I'm getting rid of all of the stuff that I have been using to keep you at arm's distance. When I'm getting rid of all of that, when I am left alone, it is then I can truly be personally transformed. You say, is that a New Testament message? You better believe it is. We quote it. We read it a little differently because we don't really understand temple worship very well. And so when they refer to it, we just kind of breeze over it, and it sounds poetic. We don't know what it means, and we keep going. But Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Here's what I, here's what I aim to tell you. Nobody climbs on the altar loaded. Everyone who climbs on the altar and offers themselves to God does it alone. And this is really important. Jacob sent his wealth, his wives, and even his posterity away. It's just him and God. I shared this message on Friday and my son said something very profound to me yesterday. He said, you, you know, I heard something, Dad. He said, I heard that people aren't really afraid of being alone. I was like, really? He goes, they're afraid that when they are alone, that they're not alone. That someone else is there with evil intent. That I am vulnerable in that place. And let me just tell you today, if you're the person that can't ride in the car without the radio being on, if you're the person where, I mean, I've always got to have people, people, people sleep. People, 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 people. I know some of you are introverts, you're like, oh, that's not me. <laughs> you don't want to get alone with God, you just want to be alone. <laughs> no, 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 there's, there's all kinds of, of people out there that, that, that's, that surround themselves and insulate themselves from aloneness with God because they are fearful. They think of him as a shepherd with a rod coming to beat them, not knowing the shepherd bears the rod for the, for the wolf and the lion and the bear that's coming after them. Oh, man, I said it on Wednesday. I said, when you hear the footsteps of a shepherd, you need not run away. You need to run to the shepherd. When you're isolated and alone and you hear the roars of your past coming to bear on you, listen, don't run away from the footsteps of the shepherd. It's time to get alone with the shepherd. 
But you can't only just get alone with God. You've got to do the second step. You've got to wrestle with God. When your past is chasing you, you've got to wrestle with God. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And now when he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I believe that God is bringing revival to the church. But listen, we as the church got to learn to get back alone with God and say, God, here I am. I'm wrestling. I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. I believe God wants to interject some old stick to in your prayer closet. Where you get in that place and you say, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not moving from this place until something changes. My past is coming. I can't do anything about it. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Isn't it interesting that the birthright that he stole wasn't enough? The blessing he lied himself into, it wasn't enough. There was this aching sense in the heart of Jacob. My life is meant for more than living up to the name and the pain of lying and pushing one down and pushing one out of the way so that I could get ahead. No, no, no. I have got to get to the place where God himself speaks a blessing over me because what I have lied my way in into, cajoled my way into, networked my way into, won't bring me into God's plan for my life. And he had this longing, I know I'm meant for something more. And he said, I won't let you go. I wonder, do our prayer times look like that? Or do they look like, God let me go, I gotta go. Let me, let me go, God. I don't have time for that right now. I'm telling you, church, God's shifting things in the last hour. You're going to have to learn that we need something more than the systems of this world. Listen, when everything starts shaking in the last hour, you're going to be grateful that a wild man stood on a stage in Inverness, Florida and said, you need to get alone with God and you need to learn how to wrestle with God. When your past is coming to bear on you and things are going down globally, you're going to say, oh no, I got into that secret place and I wrestled with God. You see, we have to contend for our assignments. The anointing and grace of God for your calling is only found in God. You say, well, how do I find him? Jeremiah 29, 13 says he's not hard to find. That when you seek him with your whole heart, you'll find him. You say, that terrifies me actually finding God. Well, good news. Paul told Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that fear you have of a real encounter, being real with God, that's not coming, that's not coming from God. That's coming from a limp from the past. He knew that there was only one that could bring about the blessing necessary.
for the longing in his heart, and that was God himself. And if you've ever wondered, where is the wrestling place? Where is the place where I get to where I can begin to say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me? It's found in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't pray, don't pray like hypocrites. Don't be like them. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of street to be seen of men. He says, however, assuredly, I say, they have their reward. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Listen to me. He says, if you want to find God so that you can seek him out to get his blessing and anointing on your life for the calling that, and the impact that we are to make with these few breaths we are given in this life, then here's how you find God. Shut the door. Go into your room and shut the door. And he said, God who is in the secret place, he's there waiting. Oh, he's, it's in this story. Here's Esau coming with 400 men. Jacob crosses this creek. And suddenly he's in a wrestling match. With God. Aren't you grateful that God is closer than the enemy who is pursuing you? I'm grateful that before Esau and the army could get there, God showed up. He's closer than you know. You can find your moment with him. Oh, but this last one, you may find troubling. When you get alone with God and you begin to wrestle with him and you say things like, God, I, I will not let you go until you bless me. You're going to have to learn how to receive from God. I don't need a bunch of you to raise your hands to know this house this morning is filled up with wonderful givers and terrible receivers. <laughs> oh, you're good at giving stuff away. You're good. But as soon as somebody does something nice for you, no, I hope you kept the receipt. I, I can't take that. Somebody tries to bless you. You're like, oh, no. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, come on. I'm good at receiving. <laughs> I'm not talking to you right now. Talk to you in a minute. <laughs> Most of us are not good receivers. How do I know that? Because if you were a good receiver, you still wouldn't be living like Jacob. You've got to get alone with God, wrestle with God, and then you've got to receive God. Did you notice what God said? What is your name? Little aside, when God asks you a question, it's not because he needs information. There is no deficit in his knowledge. He is not asking him 
what's his name so that he could say, oh, wow, it's nice to meet you. I didn't even know you existed. <laughs> he says, what's your name? So Jacob could say it face to face with God. What's your name? Liar. What's your name, son? Deceiver. What's your name? The one who only gets ahead by pushing someone else out of the way. What's your name? And he said the only name he knew after God had blessed him with wives, children, wealth. He said, I'm still that liar. I got a blessing from God on my life, and, but I'm still living like a liar. I'm still living like a supplanter. I'm still living like a deceiver. And then in that moment, face to face, God says, and you shall be called Jacob no longer. He says, I call you Israel, prince of the most high. I call you one who prevails. It's usually at this moment when we're having that intimate moment with God that we have to start trying to explain. And God, but you know what I did, right? No, 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 I'm Jacob. We go back and we try to explain to him our Jacobness when he's already called us Israel. And Jacob never walks in Israel's calling. Jacob will only ever continue to lie, deceive, and fall short of this longing in his heart. You say, well, what do I have to do? There's two things you do when you're receiving from God in this private place of wrestling with God. First, you receive his titles. It's what Jacob did, right? He got a new name. So what are some of the new names that God gives us? All right, hold on. Your inner Jacob is going to begin to squirm. Oh, you're very familiar with some of these titles. Darkness. Oh, man, that one's easy to agree with, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty dark. And yet, God says, no, I'm changing the label to light. Oh, well, you mean like, kind of like a Walmart flashlight, right? Runs on C batteries. Kind of works when you shake it. That's what God has to do all the time to get the light to shine. He just kind of shakes us. He did say, I will shake everything that can be shaken. No, he doesn't call you some dim light that only works half the time. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 5. You're the light of the world. 
Oh, not a lot of amens. That's how I, oh, I know I'm talking to Jacob. That's how I know. I know I'm talking to Jacob because most of us, if you realize I'm the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill, you know you didn't become the light because you was born the light. You became the light because you were born again the light. How about this one? Oh, I'm a believer, but I'm bound. I'm bound. Because of my past, I'm bound. Usually people are bound for two reasons. A lie or a family pattern that they've watched. And neither are enough to keep you bound. If God says, you are free. This is why I do not agree with any level of addiction in your life. I don't agree because my Bible says he who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. And you can reach back for that Jacob and stay bound with that label if you want. But I'm here to tell you today, God says you are free indeed. I'm going to find some else. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've learned how to receive. <laughs> how about this one? We're saved, but we're depressed. You say, I'm not depressed. I'm just melancholy. <laughs> yeah. But. When God comes and you wrestle with him, he doesn't speak depression over you. Your doctor may have. Your health professional may have. You may have liked the, the, the diagnosis because it led to a check every month. I'm going to help some people today. God says, I'm changing your name, depression, to joy. Oh, it's joy. I'm changing your name to joy, unspeakable and full of glory. You say, oh, no, I've been walking under this heaviness my whole life. I don't know how to get out of it. Here's how you get out of it. Get along with God. Wrestle with him. And he says, oh, I'm going to take off that spirit of heaviness, and I'm going to give you a garment of praise. Praise and joy and life is your new name. It's your new name. It's your new name. Some have bought in to the idea that they're worthless. You can, take, you, you can tell from all the false humility that shows up. It is kind of false humility. They think they're worthless. And they want everybody else to know that they feel worthless. And that is why they can't ever step up and really do anything for the kingdom. Because they feel worthless. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. It's a trap. 
Because God doesn't, God doesn't name you worthless. He names you valuable. You say, how do I know that? Because he told the story. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found that treasure, he put it back in the field, left, sold all that he had, and purchased the field that he might have the treasure. See, all of us think that's the way that we are to live for the kingdom of God. And there is a truth in there. But oh no, the real revelation is, is that when God come came to this planet and found the treasure of fallen human beings on this planet. He goes away, gives all to purchase, all to purchase everyone in the field. I know most of us don't understand that because, because we think if I found a treasure, I would just walk off with it. Yes, and then you would own the treasure illegitimately. But God says, I will purchase you legitimately in my own love, by my own blood. And he says, you are valuable. Let me just give you one last one. Today in well-meaning churches all around this county, all around this state and country, people will tell this half-truth. Sticking to people the label sinner. Come on, you've heard it. We're all just sinners. Period. I told you I'd find you eventually. Some of y'all, that is correct. We are all just sinners. Before the cross. But when you get born again, wrestle with God and receive his grace, he says... No longer a sinner. You're a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a daughter. Listen to me. God says over you, you are my daughter. That is my son. That is my son. Can you hear God? In the unseen realms, when Satan wants to attack and bring death, God steps in and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Don't go near him. You can't do that. That's my son. John 1, that's what it says. It says, but as many as received him, he gave them the right to become The children of God. To those who believe in his name. Oh, come on. If you've been uncomfortable with some of these labels, it's probably because you're more identified with your inner Jacob than the new man of Israel. Now that first... Thing you receive, his title has to do with your thinking. But there's a second thing we're all called to receive his touch. You need to receive his titles, it deals with renewing the mind. But there's nothing that can replace his touch. Touched him in his hip. Many years ago, before a service just like this, I was on a prayer team. 
not in ministry, feeling a call, not knowing how to get there. I had just actually helped lead one of my coworkers to the Lord. And there he was, visiting church that Sunday. And the Lord said, take him to pre-service prayer. And there we are in this back room. And they always said, you could stay here for as long as you like. And I prayed that Sunday. And I could hear the rumble of worship that was happening. And there's him and I and one other person who stayed that day. And I got gripped by Genesis 32 for some strange reason. I wasn't, wasn't as familiar with this story as I am today. And I prayed a prayer in that back room. I said, God, mark us like you marked Jacob. I wasn't even sure why I had prayed it. It just suddenly flew out of my mouth. And when I prayed it, I felt the release. I went and worshiped. Nothing particularly happened in that service, but I was going to a tent revival that Sunday afternoon, and uh, really more to just kind of observe, because it was as weird as you could imagine. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but a man, who, the man who was leading it, got a word of knowledge about someone who was sitting right, just kind of a couple rows away from me. And uh, he said, sir, stand up. He said, you had heart surgery two weeks ago. Was that right? And that man, shocked, said, yes. Catholic man. Doesn't normally come into those kinds of meetings. And he began to minister healing to him. And right when all of that was happening, a loud clap came from within my body. Pow! So loud that my friend sitting four seats down from me heard it. He leaned over and said, did you just get healed? I looked over and said, I didn't know I need to be. And I'm sitting there going, suddenly realizing it was my hip. I, I, didn't, see, I, I didn't remember a single song. I didn't remember anything of that meeting except me sitting there with this strange feeling going on. When the meeting came to an end, I just got up from my chair and suddenly realized all of the muscles on my left side were sore. And I was like, huh, I, I don't know what this is. And I'm walking to the car in silence and God said, you asked me to mark you like Jacob. <laughs> Listen was literally just a few months later revival would break out in my living room people who did not go to church would stop because they would see the cars from these teens who were gathering in my living room they would leave the bar park across the street walk into my house and get born again drunk and immediately begin to witness. It was, it was just a short time after. See, all along, I had known there was a call of God on my life. All along, I knew the gospel. But there was something missing. The touch. That changed the way I walked. And listen, that day as it did in Genesis 32, it says, and that day the sun rose over Jacob. A new day dawned. 
when God touched him. I'm here to tell you today, church, you need to listen to me. God wants to touch you again. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, today's the day. He's changing the ultimate label where you move from death to life by grace through faith. But there are some of you who have been living like Jacob when all along God has been declaring you Israel. And there's one thing missing, you receiving who he says you are and his touch